This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on as this episode with uh, Andrew Fuller was one that really had me looking at life in a whole different realm and kind of taking different aspects of what we go through in each decade and why we go through certain experiences and how certain experiences of what our parents went through at certain ages, how we go through the, not the same experience, it can happen, but we go through an experience uh, at that time. So, and I share some story, personal stories of my own I with this, and I just had a blast. Andrew is just a wonderful human being. And I know that you're going to enjoy this episode because we went deep. And for those, especially in the age around 49, 56, I highly recommend tuning in because it's going to, that's the biggest uh, time frame of when we go through, uh, you know, midlife crises and so forth. And he does an elegant job of really breaking that down and sharing with us why that is and so much more. So let me share a little bit of who Andrew Fuller is to give you a better idea. Andrew is the leading Australian psychologist. He has interviewed more than 500,000 people to trace the most commonly identifiable stages of life. He discovered that understanding what stage one is in will lead them to making changes that can improve their relationships, create better health, and develop a more resilient mindset. 
He believes that knowing the characteristics of your stage of life is vital as the things that make your, your or difference in your 20s changes in your 30s and then alters again in your 50s, becoming completely different in your 60s and 70s. This is where he will describe the he calls, you know, he's being described as like the interesting mixture of Billy Connolly, Tim Winton and Fraser Crane as someone who puts the heart back into psychology. So he has an amazing background. He wrote a book called Your Best Life at Any Age, and we're going to get into all that and so much more. So I don't want to waste any more time. I'm excited. Plus, I don't want to take any more thunder away from this guy. So with no further ado, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Episode. So just sit back, relax, enjoy this one. Take some, take a pen and paper out and really embrace this one because I'm telling you, this is going to be a, it was a game changer for me. I shared a lot of personal stuff in here because I was learning so much in this and I know you're going to. So here is is Andrew Fuller. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Vic. Hi. I'm excited to have you on. I think uh, the work you're doing and everything that you're up to, your book, and uh, we're going to dive in some other things here, um, is just fascinating. And, I, and I'm really just, to, I, I want to pick your brain. So I'm excited to just have this next 40, 50 minutes here to really dive for the listeners to uh, uh, gain some really good um, life nuggets and wisdom that you're going to be sharing. So Thanks for taking the time. It's an absolute pleasure. Hi, everyone. So as my listeners know, I always start out when I interview somebody is I always want to hear your story. I'm always curious for myself and for the listeners of how you got into what you're doing today. Um, a lot of times in life, I, I know for myself, I was always told you got to pick a path and go. And then when I started my path, it was like, yeah, I don't like that. I'm going over here yet. Yeah, that ain't it. I'm going over here. And I did this thing what I call the pinball effect. And so kind of curious, where has your life lined up with everything that you're doing and how you got up to what you're doing today? Uh, well, one of the first first jobs I ever had in psychology was in uh, a, in psychiatric crisis teams. And so I'd be on bridges with people who are looking gloomily at the bottom of the bridge or in siege situations with people with you know pretty dire moments. And that got me interested in how you stop people getting to that point in their lives, of course. And that then led me, of course, to st start to study, this is probably over 35 years ago now, um, a word that wasn't very well known at that time, even though it's almost unimaginable now that it, that's so, and that was the word resilience. In fact, when I started to research resilience, uh, people would look a bit confused and talk about steel and tension, bridges and things like that. So it was kind of confusing. But so that then led to this really big wave of kind of how to how do you stop people getting to that point? And we um, did a large scale survey, which we've done a second wave of now late, much later on, much more recently. Uh, but the first wave was talking to, particularly to young people who had grown up really tough and despite it had turned their lives around. And what I was interested in, what was going on at that turning point? And they told me that three things really were potent as ingredients. The first one was having at least one member of your family who loves you to bits, really, who just thinks you're fantastic. Um, so even in a really dysfunctional family, having one person who just, you know, thinks you're great, makes the makes the difference that's an, it's not ideal but it's enough 
The second one was having a diversity of friendship groups. So should I fall out with one group of friends, I've got another group to kind of relate to. And the third one was having an adult outside their family, often a teacher or a coach or a, uh, somebody who is a community member or a family friend who, and it was a really interesting bit of the research, who was able to look beyond the smokescreen of the teenagers or young person's behaviour at that point and say, you're all right, Mick, you're the kind of person I like to know. Something about you, it's a glint in your eye. It's, a, it's something, you know, and they saw something in that young person that the young person wasn't able to see in themselves. And the more that we continued on doing interviews around that theme, it really became clear that those adults, often without really knowing it or intending to do so, gave those young people a gift that they'll spend the rest of their lives unwrapping. So that's really how it became that first wave of research. Um, the second wave of research clarified it even further to suggest that basically what promotes resilience is that when we connect with one another, when we protect one another, and when we respect one another, people thrive. So they're sort of we connect, we protect, and we respect. So the CPR of well-being. So that's a kind of brief overview of it. I love it. I I, I'm, I'm, I was going in flashback as you were talking about the first part, because I was sitting there, I'm like, you know, having resilience in, in my upbringing and what I went through and so forth. And then I'm like, yep, I had a family member who thought the world of me, uh, always was happy to see me, was always like, you know, back then I, I was concerned about my looks. I was concerned about a lot of other things. And she'd be like, you're so gorgeous. You're so this, you're so wonderful. You're so X, Y, Z. Right. And I was like, okay, that was a big supporter to keep me moving forward instead of going down a negative downward spiral. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, someone who was near the family. I had someone who was like a second mother who, when I was a teenager, it's fine. I'm just, I'm sitting there. I'm trying, I wasn't trying to smile as much when you're saying it. Cause I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. There was my one of my, my, the lady who was responsible for getting my parents together to be married was also like, I call her my guardian angel because when I was so furious with my parents, cause they wouldn't understand, I was just trying to express and they were not seeing my side and I just wanted to be heard. And it was like, she would always be like, honey, sometimes, you know, parents, they see only what they want and not what you want, you know? And she would just like walk me, like, give me a, like a piece of like, okay, I'm just gonna, I just got to figure this out and I'll, I'll get through this. Um, and I think the other one was diversity of friends, which I had a lot of in high school. So yeah. very, very interesting to see when you're talking about that. It's like, oh my God, that's my life. Yep. That, that's exactly <laughs> me there. So I, I, I wanted to well. share that because I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the work you've done, now you've done, you said over a half a million people. Okay. What are some things, I mean, that, that's a quite a lot of people there. What are some things that, um, you know, you talk about resiliency and things like that, but what are some of the common things when it comes to individuals with their, their life that you can you share? Like, is there a common theme? I mean, I know we're talking, we're going to get into like ages and stuff like that. I'm, I'm excited to go down that path with you. Um, maybe this may lead that way. So if it is, take it. Um, when it comes to uh, the work that you're doing and so forth, is there some things like you see as a commonality or is that more like at different age brackets and so forth? So I think life is an improvisational art, really, and we have to keep reinventing ourselves throughout our lives. And so what sometimes gets in the way of that or sometimes facilitates it is uh, perhaps just to explain that a bit. So when, when you run workshops, large workshops with lots of people, one of the great 
privileges is that people do stuff for you, you know. And so I would ask people to kind of map their lives and give me a kind of overview of their life, a pretty simple kind of, you know, if you imagine a vertical axis being the happiest you've ever been or the unhappiest you've ever been, sort of like a 10 uh, down to zero. Um, and then basically across the, the horizontal, you've got different ages and you get people to map it and kind of look at it. And then sometimes I get them to map their parents and sometimes their lives as well. And what became really apparent through that and the interviews that I did was that families have time bombs. So that when you're look, you know, when you're lying in that that bassinet or that crib or that cradle or whatever you cot or whatever you're in, looking cute and gorgeous and all of that, you are you are studying life with a, an absolute determination to work it out. And one of the things that you absorbed acutely, even though you couldn't speak and you weren't aware of it, was at what age do you do particular things? And so it, because you're pre-verbal at this point of your life, you can have a consciousness which is not necessarily anything you can later on analyse unless you really think about it. And so there'll be in almost every family set points, the sort of age at which you leave home or the, the age at which you start a relationship or the age at which you split up or the age that you kind of have children or, or become old or become frail. And starting to see those echo points in families or, or basically those kind of those particular touch points or time bombs is incredibly useful to do because I think sometimes we all think that our life is our own creation and absolutely it's an individual thing but human beings have been doing this thing called life for a long time you know and um, so there are there have to be some patterns to it I think over after all of those you know years and of course within a family the patterns are even more powerful um, and so Often what I'll find is that when, for example, when for you, perhaps if we give you an example, Vic, so you can kind of relate to this. If I ask you about your father, are you the youngest in your family, by the way? Yes. Yes. Okay. So when you were, how old were you when your father was born? How old was I when my dad was oh, sorry. born? Sorry, how, how, I was how like, old, wait a minute. How, how, how old was your father when <laughs> yeah. you were born? Whoa, got that rather wrong. Let me see now. So he's 70, so he was 32. 32, okay. And then, th then there will be an event that occurred after your birth that changed your family. Now, maybe that was you going to school, but even before that, there may have been an event that happened that kind of changed his life. Yep. Would that be your school or would it be something else? Change his life. So, so does that would it like an older sibling do that? Because I know, or Could would be. it have to would it have to be me? Because I know, like, um, my sister was a preemie when she was born. Um, we okay. called her a miracle yep. baby. She died yep. twice. Second time, the doctor said she wasn't going to make it. Like, just say your prayers, yep. and that's it. Um, and then they found out later on she's she she was deaf, and they found that later. So, like, from that hardship of four months of being in the NICU and hoping that she survives and all that stuff. To then a year or so later, I think it was a little over a year later, they started to notice she wasn't really responding to noises. And then they did a test and found out she was deaf. So wow. that was really detrimental to them. And then I come along, which I think I was not born the right way either. I always joke and say I was born on the wrong foot. 
And literally, I, <laughs> I, my two feet, I was, I was born with something called bilateral club foot, which means instead of you're wow. looking down at your feet and seeing the top of them, what yeah. I'm seeing is the inside bottom of my feet turning inward. And so, uh, and then that led to, you know, a whole plethora of things, uh, corrections. And my mom had to strap me in bars, like, like Forrest Gump, the movie. I didn't have them moving. I just had them when I slept. And, uh, and I think that like, those are like, how many more things do I have to deal with and keep fighting with him? How many, why can't things just be yeah. like normal? I think, I think he never, my dad's not the type to talk. So it's not one of those things he will yeah. ever express. Maybe down the road, he will, you know, different stages in life. Right. Um, but yeah, so that, that's a little bit of the backstory, probably a little bit too much you want to hear, but uh, I, I just want no. to give you that full picture. Well, your family's so full of time bombs. Of we, ne- we probably need four podcasts to get through this. Right. But, <laughs> but um, so what, what the idea is that when you get to the age that which at the same age that your parents were when they had had to confront all of those changes often you will change your life in a fairly dramatic way and it'd be interesting we could ask you more if you want but at the same time it's a really interesting thing to think about um and just to think okay well why am i changing things right now and we'll often find that there's actually a, an echo point in, in one of your parents lives at exactly the same age i can uh, i can see that because at 32 uh my chiropractic office we were in a small space and uh i was tired of being i wanted i was looking to get out of this small space and i wanted to get a big office and i had a big vision and it was either continue where i was um, but if I made this move, even my accountant looked at me, and she goes, the rent's way too high. Like that's, you, you don't do that. Like there's rules to this and you're going double of what the max is. I said, we're going to double the business in one year. I have to do this. There's just, I just yeah. can't stay where I'm at. This is not working for me. I have a bigger vision. And so at that moment, I chose to believe in myself even more. Um, and all of a sudden we, we did and two with that year, we jumped 83%. The next year was like another 60 overall it was like three times wow. within those two years. Fantastic. I don't know if that relates. That's a business yeah, side no, of things. Ab- absolutely. That's exactly okay. what I'm talking about. And so time bombs can be positive or negative. It's not a sort of one direction or the other. Um, and so, but just being aware of them gives you a choice. So, you don't necessarily want to replicate every time bomb that your family have. I says, you know, for, for most families anyway. So you want there are some you go, oh, I don't know whether I need to repeat that pattern. Thank you very much. It was nice to get the message, but I don't need to do it. Whereas other ones you might want to capitalize on. But just being aware of them allows you to be free from basically that sort of that patterning in families. It's very very interesting stuff. Yeah, you got me thinking now because it's like you know my my dad was very successful at a young age. Um, he he was a workaholic, and being young and making good money, he, he people told him, "Hey, buy land, do this, you know, do that," and he did it all. His negative downfall was he was a gambler, and he basically one day, I mean, he just eventually gambled it all away. And I always share this story. I shared it in my book. I said it was one of the things where I I I, I go I, I appreciate him sharing that story. He really embedded that story into me. But at the same token, when I always look at him, I said, but I wish you continued on and didn't make that failure be your life. Like instead of marking that and say, I failed and that's the end of it, wished he would have been like, because he's very gifted in a lot of things he does. And I was like, I wish he would have said, you know what, that's fine. Because now you're making me think because at 32, I remember I was doing okay in the business, but I wasn't happy. Like I wasn't, I wasn't living my life the way I wanted to. And I was like, either the, the space is holding me back 
or I'm like, or I'm gonna have to just shift careers. I'm like, I don't know. This is not really like, it's been, I was like in the business now for like three, four years. And I'm like, it's not gelling. Like a lot of the mentors I'm following who are doing really, really well. And I'm doing everything they're doing, but it wasn't, it wasn't doing at that level. And I was like, hmm. there's something I'm missing here. And, and so it was at that, it was at that pivot point where I was kind of like, all right, it's either uh, I'm going all in on this new space and I'm going to put all my energy into it and give it my all, or it's not going to work. And then I'm going to have to redirect things. But I found that fascinating. Yeah. Does like, so in my work, I've, I was, there's always things called, I don't know if you use this word or not, but like ancestral curses. Now this is something that like, in a programming way, in chiropractic, we talk, we talk about this from genetic perspective that mm. when sperm and egg come together, uh, I used to share this a lot. And now there's research that backs it up to say, um, when sperm and egg come together, all the experiences of your life at that time um, from mom and dad get transferred into there as like a survival mechanism, kind of saying, hey, here's how the world is. Here's what we went through. You're going to, and it's more, I think it's more energetic. It's not like actual memories of all these things. It could be, there's, there is cellular memory, they say, but that's a whole nother story. But yeah. um, does that play a role in some of this stuff too, in a sense, like um, in where, um, or let me, let me take that back. Why is it that we, as like, for me, just as one little example at 32 and my dad at 32, um, and another example of me at 28, which was another one with my parents having their kids, uh, my sister, yeah. but is that how, why we see those time bombs? Is there any reasoning behind that? Um, so it would be really interesting to ask your dad, if you ever get a chance, about the age that he began to fritter away his gains and then to look at his father and mother's patterns and see whether you get a, an ancestral echo because that's often what will happen. So it'll be transferred down. And because, of course, these things are learned when we are not really verbal, we don't transform them. We just transmit them. And so one of the things that I often think in, in family, if we don't, if we don't uh, transform pain, we transmit it and we transmit it down to the next generation. And so one of the things that we can really do to advantage our great, 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 great grandchildren is to basically just do a bit of thinking about your own life and have a look at these patterns, not because everyone will necessarily have the same patterns, but you'll have some, and that will then give you greater empowerment over your life, really. And so, in a way, families are a bit like, you know, those uh, cookie cutters, I guess. You know, they kind of want you to be the same kind of person, too. That's the other force in a family. So, I think everyone's had the experience of having a year of amazing change when they've been away from their family and they go back home for a sort of family and a gathering and people look at you and go, oh, you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> you go, Come on. <laughs> Amazingly different. We're not seeing it. And so, they do like to see you in that same role and that's that's true for kids but it's also true for adults for parents as well so quite often i'll work uh with with women who basically after a lifetime of caring for everybody else finally need to start to look after themselves better and what happens is that they start to do some really great stuff for themselves, but the family, without even ever really thinking about it, become a bit disapproving of, you know, hang on, this is not 
how you normally are. You should get back into this old role that we're used to having. Thank you very much. They're a bit threatened by change. And I have to work with women to basically break through that and because otherwise the guilt basically just forces them back into a, a sacrificial ro a role. I can relate to that 100%. And I think there's, I think it's called, I don't know if it's the lobster or the craw effect. I think it's the lobster effect where you have three lobsters in the tank. Have you ever heard of this before? And then they, um, if one wants to get out, the other two are going to grab it by its legs and pull it back in. Yeah. It's, yeah and that's yeah. where I think the, like, the ancestral curse, when I heard this years ago, I was like, oh, what do you mean ancestral curses? And some people are like, it's not what you think, but it's a vibrant, it's like a, it's a consciousness level of the, everything has consciousness level. So the, the town you grew up in, the city, the state, you, you know, the country, the world, hum humans in general, um, and, and you're bringing up a great point, and I love it, uh, where uh, we look at like how family has a certain vibe, like a consciousness. And it's very like we don't, they feel threatened. And it's not a bad thing. They, and I, I had to go through this myself because my I love how you're like, you go away for a year and you're like, holy cow, things changed. That was me twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it one time and I was like, wow, I'm going through a lot of change. I'm seeing things different, which was just me being allowed to be expressing myself and who I am. And then the same thing happened when we went to chiropractic school. And then, but it is tough because I know for myself and working with others, like when I've, I've worked with clients and they want to make a change and all of a sudden their family will be like, wait a minute here, you know, or what about this? Or why don't you think this? And I'm always like, careful. They may be putting their fears and putting them on you, not doing it on purpose. Uh, they love you. Trust me, they wouldn't do that. But it's mm. they don't realize that they're doing that. And so then all of a sudden, that's what happened to me when I wanted to start out my business. And I had nothing. I had no. I was in the negative with school. And I went in the negative uh, just to be like, all right, I'm going to try to make this work. And my parents like, no, why don't you go work with so-and-so? It's more secure. It's more comfortable. Mm. We know the person. They'll take good care of you. I'm like, for what I'm getting paid compared to what my vision is and what I want to do? And it wasn't about the money. It was more about me wanting to just be me. I like to be me yeah. and just let me be me. Um, and so I find that fascinating. So that's pretty interesting there. Would, would you say, and I know we're talking about time bombs and different times in life relating to parents. What about just your normal life? Is there certain things at certain ages? Because like for me, um, you know, looking at the brain, like we really don't become um, the prefrontal cortex part of the brain doesn't really fully develop to around about 25. And so I always joke with like someone's trying to make decisions. Like I laugh at myself now back in my early twenties when I thought I knew everything. Uh, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, you didn't know Jack, buddy. I don't know why you even thought that you couldn't even make a decision and think into the future and see how I did a little bit, but nowhere, no, my impulse control, all that was not at the level where it is today. Um, and a lot of times it's because of that prefrontal cortex area. Um, does that play a role in a lot of the work that you do? Yes, it absolutely does. So tracking all of these people's lives, half a million of them, uh, I would then sort of take these charts back and kind of look at them. And it fell into roughly a seven-year cycle of life, which I, wasn't an idea I started out with. Um, so the data actually suggested that this was the pattern. And then I became aware, of course, that almost every civilization, every culture, every religion's had pretty much the same idea. It's one of those common ideas that about every seven years you get a chance to reorient or or reconsider your life in a fairly dramatic way. So 
if we talk about those that sort of early adulthood, then you kind of have this this phase really between about 21 and 28. You're sort of wandering around trying to get a grip on what the heck life is. It's often quite anxiety-provoking, really. You know, you're supposed to be kind of cool and partying and having a great wild time, but actually it's much more apprehensive than it's commonly portrayed. And then I reckon your 29th year really starts with some theme music, and that's the umbilical cord breaking completely separate. And so, but after 29, you can't really blame your parents anymore. It's just not fair. You know, you've got to be, you're, you're on your own, buddy. And, and what's interesting, I think, in, during the 20s, you're trying to work out what's my contribution? Where, where can I place myself? Now, between 29 and 36, I ended up calling this the Napoleon years. After Napoleon sort of, you know, I've got to get to Moscow, I've got to get to Moscow, didn't work out so well, you know, he comes back. <laughs> okay, so essentially what happens, you know, around 29, you grab an idea, this is, this is it, I've got the mission, I've got the calling, I've got the thing I'm going to do, right? And then but you're a bit like somebody who's got a hammer and everything's a nail. So this is the same solution. I'm just going to be this. I'm going to start this career. I'm be in this relationship and it's going to be fantastic. And then often by the age of 36, you look back and go, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've, there's actually more, more diversity to me and to life than really you know, I thought of when I was 29. So that's where when you start to broaden out again. So it's a really, it's interesting to see these common themes that occur across people's lives. Not necessarily because I will accurately describe every individual life, that would be fanciful and silly. But, but to think about what lots of people do at different phases of life, then helps you to kind of think about, well, what do I want for my life? What what sort of things should I prioritize? Because really life does require different things of you at different stages. And so you need to modify what you're doing in order to maximize your outcomes and your contribution and your resilience, really. And I guess we all know that because we've, we probably have all met people who at, say, 46 are still doing the same stuff they were doing at 16. And it just doesn't look that pretty, really. It's not, you know, it's past its use-by date. And so they've never taken the time to reflect or to reinvent themselves. And so they're pretty much like a 16-year-old growing, you know, walking around a 46-year-old body, but mm, not such a good look. How much then too, because I've heard this before in the past, like sometimes if you don't heal from something emotionally at a certain age, emotionally you get trapped back there until you heal that. Is that kind of accurate or is that just a cute little, you know, kind of phrase and saying? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not, I mean... Certainly there's scar tissue. I mean, we, I've, I've seen people that have had, as you have, I'm sure, have had dreadful experiences and the scar tissue that they form around it can be even stronger than the original wounding area. So it's not always a bad thing to be wounded, even though I'm, I wouldn't say it's a lot of fun, <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's, it, it'll make you tougher. Um, but it can... You've got to be careful that you don't kind of just stop in time then with your own survival strategy because survival strategies are incredibly compelling. 
So if I basically got through a really tough time by being incredibly self-reliant and not trusting anybody else, but basically relying on my own wits and never asking other people for help because I'm a really kind of tough, independent kind of guy, well, it's not going to work forever. You know, you've got to then kind of reshape yourself and go winning strategy now, but maybe not the winning strategy I want to use throughout my life. Otherwise, I'll end up lonely and fairly kind of isolated as a person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then what about in the 40s? Is there anything you've noticed with your work into the 40s? Because I feel like a lot of times when I evaluate, look at people, a lot of my mentors, 40 was like their, their launching pad years where all of a sudden they're, they're, you, there's just a different shift in them. They're, they're more in sync with themselves and the work that they're doing. And a lot of times they're more successful and that's where they're like success really blossomed. Uh, and I don't mean that just from a financial standpoint. I'm just talking about in life in general. I would notice a lot of them around the 40s is where it would happen. Um, and I know in my work, I know 40 is like that beautiful midline point of the max of the physical body. And then the like the mind continues to develop as we get older. But the physical body, your peak is right around 40. Uh, well, I shouldn't say peak. You're before we start have to work on that to keep it there now is around 40. Because uh, now that now the challenge starts to happen where you got to work a little harder to maintain things. Um, but is that is is there something about in your work that you've seen over a half a million people working with? What is there any patterns in the 40s that happen? Yeah, the 40s are a fascinating time. I mean, biologically, most of the bits are in the right place. Things are, you're still looking fantastic pretty much, but you're incredibly industrious. Now, Carl Jung once said that more people enter therapy at the age of 49 than any other. And I started to think about that and notice it, and it's right. So after a period of industrial kind, in, being industrious and successful and so on, people become devoted to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they, they fly, but they're often at the same time, if they're tending to relationships, tending to careers, some are raising kids, some are looking after older parents. So I ended up calling the sort of 40s, this holding the tiger by the tail phase of life. And so it's like you've got this tiger and you're holding it by its tail. But if I let go of the tail, I'm going to, I'm in big trouble, right? So they're clinging on, right? And they work hard, really hard. And then at the age of 49, they, if they've done that and they can grow incredibly and I would say generally women possibly grow even faster than men at that stage so it can be a time of peril for relationships where one partner can kind of step a leap further ahead than the other and that can cause some relationship peril but by the age of 49 quite often people look in the mirror and go well that was great and I'm successful, but where did I go in the midst of it all? And that then kicks off a change, a really substantial change in people's lives between 49 and 56. And that's a hard slog because what's been, again, that winning strategy of being really successful and working hard and acquiring uh, you know, more goods and more knowledge and so on, it requires then the next shift. So between 49 and 56, I ended up calling the agony and the ecstasy. So this is a time of life when the angels and the demons both come out to play in people's lives. And it's a time of bewilderment. 
So the 40s that we've just been talking about are a time of great certainty. I know my job, I know my contribution, and I'm gunning it, right? And then what happens is often between that next phase of life, that ne next seven-year cycle, it's thrown out of whack again. And I'm just completely uncertain. I'm bewildered. I don't know quite what I'm doing. My past strategies have passed their use-by date. I now need to invent something useful. Now, our world has very little tolerance for uncertain people. We don't value hesitancy or caution much. We don't really think people who say, well, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm doing with my life. And so quite often we rush off and try and medicate them. Whereas this is a rite of passage. Now, rites of passage have been written about by, you know, Homer, by Dante. There's all sorts of uh, examples in human literature. And so you enter a time, you move away from your former life and you enter a phase of betwixt and between, all, can, all at sea, completely confused. And being able to tolerate that rather than to medicate it means that that gives you the facility to reinvent the next part of life. But if you don't do that, if you rush and try and dampen it all down or basically use the old strategies, you can end up in a lot of bother for yourself. One of the classic errors that I've watched lots and lots of people do at this stage of life is because they feel physiologically discomforted within themselves. They're basically a bit agitated. They're uncertain. They think they shouldn't be uncertain. And the tendency can be to then project it onto somebody else and say, well, it's your fault. You know, I'm feeling this way. We're over. We're done. And okay, some relationships do run out of puff, of course, as we know. but Really, the way out of this phase is in. You need to kind of go into yourself and reflect and go, okay, now, now I'm all grown up. <laughs> Who am I going to be? What am I going to do next? And that's a really exciting prospect if you can take the time to bear with it and have people not, not hurry you into a solution that's false, you know. I like that. That's uh, that kind of, that makes a lot of sense. Is that also why a lot of times around the fifty-year mark, um, a lot of midlife crisis is kicking for some people? That's exactly right. it. And so, and unless we there's there's a reason why that's there, and because we do need to invent a different self to carry us through the second half of life. And if we don't do that, we just basically keep all the old patterns happening or we just start to wither. And we watch some people become prematurely aged at that point. So it can be a time to be really aware if there are time bombs in your family about people getting ill or people getting frail or people not looking out for themselves or, you know, being kind of wasteful in terms of their own resources in their early 50s or splitting up, of course, um, are all kind of time bombs that are worth just listening out for and learning about and going, do I want to do that or not? Yeah, I'm mean, curious now too, like even divorces and stuff. I'm like, I'm like, I wonder, like if we look at all the divorces, where's the, the majority of them fall in at what age, like bracket? I'd be curious to see that. Um, so this, yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
sorry, there's some that occur very quickly in you know relationships that are just ill suited, um, but the but the vast bulk are in that 49 to 56 bandwidth. Yeah, that's when people <laughs> run out of puff themselves, but also with each other, I think. And can you go through, because I went through something in my life at, was it 33, 32, no, 32, 33. I think it was like, was it five years ago? So 33, where I started to look, I got the success I wanted. Everything was going well, but then, and I knew my vision, everything was crystal clear. I made a whole shift in my, no, everything was going well. And all of a sudden I was just like, this is not, if this is all it is, then I'm not happy with this. Like I finally got to that level and then I'm like, Mm-mm. This this is not re- rewarding. Like, yeah, the, the the money's doing well. I'm helping a lot of people, but I wasn't doing it in the way that I wanted to like make a dent to help humanity move forward. And is that can those things happen earlier too, or is it more of um, is it more like that was just me making a career, getting more focused than what I'm doing in my 29 to 36 range, rather than uh, you know what I'm going to be experiencing when I get to that 49 56 area. I think there's a, a period, yes, in that early 30s where often you do become disenchanted or disillusioned with what you've selected. And I guess that's why I called it the, the Napoleon years, because that's exactly what happened to Napoleon during that time, you know, thinking about Moscow and retreating from it, uh, which was disastrous. Uh, but in a way, sometimes it's our times of disillusionment that uh, contain the seeds of the next innovation, and so it's not, while it feels incredibly unpleasant and difficult and, you know, I should know what I'm doing and all of that kind of stuff, why does this feel empty, even though it's on the level it's been, it's been, you know, successful, it's because really there's an inner calling within you, I think, to bring out the contribution that only really you can make. And if you don't realise that, then it becomes problematic in your life. There's a book by James Hillman called The Soul's Code, which I really like. And basically the the concept of basically that all of us have a sort of almost a fate or a daemon, I think he calls it, where, you know, we have a contribution to make. And if you you don't realise that, it's very difficult to have a fulfilling life. And so we do spend a lot of our times in our lives trying to work out what that contribution is and how to make it, I think. And we know when it's right. And we also know quite in an agitated way when it's not right too. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Like, it's like, I always tell people like we all, um, you know, we all have this like reason why we're here and there's two, it's twofold. I always tell people like one is to gain experiences. That's the purpose of it. The second though, is what are you giving that uniqueness of what you have in that no one else has to the world? And uh, I love that because it's kind of like a seed where, it's been planted in you and it's your job to like, all right, where is that? How are we going to cultivate that seed to wake it up? And, uh, and so forth. I can go a whole, I can talk a whole podcast on that, but I, I like that. Um, the next thing I'm curious to ask is cause I've experienced this with my grandfather and when, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Italian, my grandfather's from Italy. My dad, my dad's from Italy. Uh, I'm a, I'm a one and a half Italian, uh, generation <laughs> because my mom's born <laughs> in America. Um, but long, long story short, you know, he was a very hard, very strict, uh, you know, strong, just you fit the Italian man mindset. This is how I say it. And that's it. I'm the boss. And that's the end of it. All that kind of stuff. But as he got older, um, him and our relationship really prospered as I got older and he became very softer. 
And in a lot of different ways. I mean, he had a lot of guilt in him. He, you know, he always tell me, don't be a dummy like me. And I used to yell at him, you came with nothing and you made massive success at one point. Um, again, he was kind of followed my, you know, this is my, my mom's dad, not my dad's, but same thing with my dad, dad, massive success, gone. Him, massive success, gone. Um, same reasons. Um, and it was one of those things where um, he got softer as he got older. I'm, my dad's 70 right now, and I'm starting to experience that with him, which is kind of shocking. Uh, my dad will talk to me more now. And I'm always like, this is weird. He, he'll share stories and share like wisdom his dad gave him. I'm going, hold up. He's never talked to me about this on anything. So it's kind of hard. I don't want to have that knee jerk reaction. So I'm always like, mm, I got to take this in. This is what you always wanted. Now just embrace this and enjoy this part. Um, but why does that happen? I mean, I understand from a, a physiological side, neurological side, there's a lot of things that go on, even biologically. But I'm curious to see with all the stuff you've been doing and how, how why wh are you talk about, I think I read that you're talking a little bit about like 70 is the years to when you learn to be a friend with yourself. Um, hmm. If you don't mind diving in uh, with that. Yeah, so I think that quite often for all of us, there are certain questions that predominate and dictate our lives to us. And that might be, how do I raise a family or how do I get smart or how do I be successful or whatever it might be. But there's another sort of seven questions or so, it doesn't, not the set number, but um, that gets suppressed. So there's their questions that basically get killed off a bit early by the, the domination of these other seven questions. And then you get to a point where you're able, if you're wise, to leave the battlefield of the life that you've led. So it doesn't mean you stop being successful, but you're not, it's not a combative, competitive life. It becomes a more collaborative one. And so in some ways that allows you to have those other questions, the softer questions often, the ones that are less pressing in terms of the demand of success. How do I become a good friend? How do I enjoy the history of my life, the people, you know, and things like that that come up, which is often why people go, you know, and start to look at their ancestry and family patterns and things like that, because they're suddenly interested much more in the relational aspects of life. And it's it's a great thing to watch in a, in a man who's lived in a hard way to acquaint himself and integrate his softer, more creative side, because he's really becoming a, a more wholehearted person. Whereas when he's that hard, you know, hard guy who's really kind of fierce, he's only half of what he can be, really. And he, it's a cover job, too. And it costs him. So if you never actually soften and become more creative and gentle in your world, I guess they're the guys who, who run into risk of, you know, heart attack and kind of major illness because they've never quite balanced themselves back again. You know, it's okay to do it for a short period of your life if you really have to combat to, to basically be successful. But then you don't want to end up thinking I'm just my job. Yeah, I, that that you, you're nailing it right on the head. I mean, and it's interesting too that you, when you have that person who's really hard and firm and all that, and then you see that that softening. Where I love how you said this is why I always say like there's you know if you're very too dominant masculine energy or just too much on that other side, the feminine happens later in life, uh, and it's one of those things where it allows you to be more whole. And it was very fascinating to see that in my grandfather, you know, in his process because it was just like wow, we're having conversations. He's telling me about his life. He's 
he's sharing stories and wisdoms and things he learned as when he was younger. And, and I, I can ask questions like, hey, how was it coming from Italy with nothing? And someone had to pay your way. And you're, you know, you had you had this little bit of money, you had someone who helped you out. And next thing you know, you created what you did. That took a lot of courage. You left all the family to do that. Like how, and like, cause now I want to learn from him how did he do that? Because it, it was, that's a huge risk. I mean, nowadays we're like, Oh, you just jump on a plane. You can go there and, you know, social media. And I mean, the things are a lot easier nowadays. So I'm like, yeah, back then there was, there's nothing. You go to a foreign place. You don't know anybody. There's no like a lot of connections. I mean, there was in, in Italians or a lot of them were moving to the, in the area where he moved. But um, yeah, I think that's uh, it's pretty interesting. Does mortality play a role? Like as they know their end is coming, is that also play a role on them too? That kind of opens up that softness. I'm not sure whether it's driven by mortality. I think that sometimes I'll see um, men have a, a misguided affair around 50 to try to war. You know, they believe they're Peter Pan, they're never growing old, and they're basically trying to almost prove how useful and desirable they, they are, which generally works out really badly. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> But I think that if we look at the, I know you've got Italian heritage, but the ancient Greeks talked about masculine and feminine in a really interesting way because the feminine was Sophia, which was wisdom, whereas masculine was equated with kindness. And we don't think about that in the modern world, but actually what we do see in good men is they become substantially kinder as they acquaint themselves with that other part of themselves as they get as they mature, they ripen into themselves in a way that's delightful. They get a twinkle in their eye. There's more humor. There's more fun. And I think they just connect in a really great way. And I think that's probably what you're experiencing. Totally, 100%. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I never knew about the masculine side being kind. That's a new one for me. So I, uh, I like, appreciate you sharing that. So with your book and everything, how can people, you know, connect, find out more about this, everything we're talking about and, and all the work you're doing and everything else? So uh, Your Best Life at Any Age is available at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, all that kind of, those all good and hopefully not so good bookshops, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess that are around. Um, there's also a couple of websites that I uh, that I run. One is called uh, Andrew AndrewFuller.com.au. The .au is the Australian part of it, and that's uh, there's a whole lot of free downloads of things, different papers on depression proofing people and anxiety and preparing for tests and exams for kids and that kind of stuff. Um, that's quite useful. And there's also a, a website that I've set up last year called MyLearningStrengths.com mylearningstrengths.com is where you can go on and there's a great photo of me by the way I've, i spent a lot of money on that photo i look terrific and so admire the photo please and then you can do an analysis of your learning strengths for free and you get a letter from me that says you know congratulations vic you're really good at this and this but if you want to get better in another area here's a way of doing it and the reason i did that was i, I was designed originally for school age students but it was trying to think about most most young people don't get to hear about what they're good at from someone who's neither their teacher nor their parent. And 27,000 young people around the world have done it in the year that it's been up. And it's, uh, it's some lovely feedback from young people and, and, and adults as well who've been doing it. So just, and there's also free downloads there as well if you want to have a look at them. 
Awesome. For the listeners, that will be all in the show notes for you to grab and get a hold of. Uh, Andrew, this was awesome. I really appreciate having you on. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and allowing me to share a little bit of some personal stuff with you to just uh, dissect a little bit for me, but at the same token, also to connect, you know, just to share for the listeners, listen to, you know, something personal for me on that level and kind of break that down. So I love the work you're doing, brother. Keep rocking and rolling and thanks for taking the time to be on. Thank you. It's been a delight, this conversation. So I really appreciate it. And thanks for being so sharing about your family. Really interesting stuff, isn't it? It's amazing. I appreciate that, brother. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.